0: This is your brain. This is your brain on learning. And that was a dad joke, and we are starting them early. But we will be talking about the neuroscience of learning and a whole lot of other stuff with our special guest, Dr. Britt Andrietta. It is the Learning Geeks Live from the ATD Technology Conference in San Jose, California, and it's coming your way now. <laughs> Welcome back to the Learning Geeks Podcast live. Uh, we're going to be bringing Brett in in just a few seconds, but Jake, hello, Happy New
1: Year. Happy New Year
0: too Bob. Dana, Happy New Year. Happy New decade. Happy Everything has changed. It's all different. Um, now, before we get into the meat, it is absolutely essential that we at least comment on the fact for a couple of minutes that in the Star Wars universe, there have been two rises. Since last we talked. So, first off, Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker came out. Yes. Yes? I can't believe we haven't talked about it yet. I know. Did you guys in the audience, what did you think of, of Star Wars Episode 9?
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Dana, 1 to 10. 7. 7. Jake. I'll go 7.5. 7.5. Yeah. Okay. I'm saying cinematic quality, 6 to 7. Heartstrings, loved it, cried through the whole thing. 10 plus. That's true. Yeah, Yeah, I was a weepy mess. So that's amazing. Um, What's the
1: other rise, Bob?
0: The other rise is we finally got in Disneyland. And Britt, you live in Santa Barbara, right? I do. Are you a Disneyland regular?
3: Uh, Not regular, but I go, I've gone and I go, yeah.
0: Okay. So they finally opened the big ride that completes Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, which is called Rise of the Resistance. And here's what I have to say about it, because I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but when I went on it, I felt like I was in a Star Wars movie. Like I was actually experiencing what the heroes of a Star Wars movie would experience. It was absolutely amazing. It transcended any other Disney ride. Uh, That's all I'm gonna say about it for now, about the details. But I do want to say is, I want to make sure that you guys come out at some point and we can go on it together. And invite any of our listeners, if you guys would be interested, both people live or people who are listening to the podcast later, uh, if you would be interested in a field trip out to Disneyland to go on this and then process through what it means to have an experience like this and what we can learn from it in learning, Britt is in, so that's fantastic. (laughs) Drop me a note and we will try to set something up and we'll get word out around that. Are you opening up your house to people to come and visit too? To people who need to travel, you know, it's going to be first come, first served. <laughs> but yes, we are in a new house. We actually have two guest rooms now. So we've got a little bit of room. So the inn would be open and would love to have you on So the
1: Airbnb stands for Air Bob and Bob?
0: <laughs> sure. Okay, the dad joke. That's okay. number two. Yeah, okay. Number two. Okay, so Britt Andrietta is the CEO and president of Seventh Mind Incorporated. I first heard of Britt when she was the CEO of Linda. Um, CLO. This, like I said, the CLO. I was
3: paid a lot less than of of the CLO.
0: dot <laughs> uh, that is now LinkedIn Learning. Uh, but Britt is the author of what I am now referring to as the Wired Two trilogy. Oh, nice. Maybe and there, it'll be the Wired. There's going to
3: be a quad quadrilogy. Tetralogy. Quadri- Tetro- whatever it is. Yeah. There's yeah. a fourth one coming.
0: Fourth one coming. Yeah, Kay. you heard it here first. <laughs> uh, so, Wired to Connect, Wired to Resist, and the fairly newly released Wired to Grow version 2.0, which Dana is holding up and nobody listening can see. Uh, but let's all welcome to the Learning Geek stage Dr. Britt Andrietta.
3: Thank you. Excited to be here.
2: We're glad to have you. No, no so, so, Britt, one of the things that we really want to do is again, our podcast, we always like to talk about immersion practice and science of learning. So we had a couple of things and all of us really, I think we all read the book, right? I think yeah. most of the book, yeah. Um, Yay. It's <laughs> <but laughs> nice it, to know people are it was reading a those. Great, it was a great refresher too, because I read the first version uh, a couple years ago. So then when 2.0 came out, um, I, I read it again. And a lot of it was, uh, there was more new stuff than I thought there was going to be. Originally, because I kept going and going, I'm like this. I don't remember any of this stuff. So it was really great. So and again, we're we're gonna keep promoting. So definitely check out Wire to Grow. Um, For those that are in the room, you will see the books up on the 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 slide there. So one of the things I I think want to kick it off is learning from failure. Um, I think a lot of us always like to do that and try to put it into our designs as much as we can. However, there is a balance there that we have to watch out for as well, right? So if I happen to fail too much, I may remember too much of the stressful moments and that memory may, may stick. But also today, you talked about the habenula,
3: is that habenula? Yep. it's okay. not a dance, not, yeah, <laughs> it sounds dance. like it. So, <laughs> That's the Macarena, totally Exactly
2: right. So,
1: Where's that in the brain?
3: <laughs> can you talk a little
2: bit about the, of, of the habenula? I'm gonna habenula. have a hard time saying this. Yeah. But, um, and, and again, this part of the brain really helps track failure. And as I think as you said it, is it's almost like a guardrail, right? There's something there. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. And again, how can we leverage that more uh, in our designs?
3: Yeah, so I mean, the good news is our species was designed to be a a learning species. That's how we all learn to walk, that's how we learn to talk. We do it through making mistakes and uh, and then getting better at things. So where the Habenula comes into play is that It's designed to help us have chemical guardrails so we make better decisions in the future. So what the habinula does is when you mess up, when you screw up in some way, it kind of pays attention to that. And then it uses chemical guardrails, in other words, cutting off serotonin and dopamine to make you not want to do that in the future. So if you go back to our tribal species days, we walked down a path, we found food, got lots of serotonin and dopamine. We went down a different path, no food it would cut it off. The habinula would be active. And so in the future, we would just psychologically feel like going down the fruitful path for ourselves. And it can go so far as to suppress your motor neurons. So when it's really active, you you find it physically hard to walk. The habinula is hyperactive in people with depression. And so if people have said, I can't get out of bed, they're not kidding like they physically are having a hard time getting their muscles to move well what happens for all of us is that learning is opportunities to fail right and that's okay but if we have a culture of blame and shame where taking risks and making mistakes become something that's kind of punished what will happen is the habinula will be so active that people will become less 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 comfortable learning and taking risks so there's a balance here where how we fix that is you recognize effort and progress. So it's not always outcomes, it's effort and progress along the way. So I think performance reviews, for example, should have an outcome, you know, what were your outcomes, but we should also have a learning and growing score and when we run a project and we're having the meeting and we find out we're 10 percent over budget or 10 weeks behind schedule yeah we need to focus on cleaning that up but we should also high five for the parts that we've done so we can easily work with habinula but if we don't what can happen is people become more and more risk averse and you kill innovation and creativity
0: so that really makes me think of the idea of growth mindset and dr carol dweck's work Mm -hmm. Uh, i know that book really changed my life because when i read it i was like Wow, I am poster child for fixed mindset. Uh, so like you I had to read up, a book to know that? <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, it's like I grew up as a gifted child, and therefore, like I can I could tell you the story right now of the first time I had a significant failure in school, which was second grade. I screwed up the math test, I didn't pass it the first time, and I literally had a breakdown. I know, it's so sad, isn't it? <laughs> second, it second grade. grade. Um, You know, and just that, obviously, my habinula was triggered at that point. So, you know, that's amazing. Now, one thing that I have noticed as a learning designer, and this this is a new finding I've talked about on the podcast before, is um, we took a very intense simulation, a learning experience that we had designed that was a very intense, very realistic simulation. Yep. That people tended to get a little bit too stressed. They got a little too into And we changed the learning architecture to being games focused. Mm -hmm. So same activities that they were doing, but now it was scoring points for your team as opposed to winning the work with the client. And we noticed a lot more receptivity to feedback, is that your experience too?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when so the brain is easily happy earning small rewards. This is why a gold star is fine, a high five is fine. This is why you take your bathroom into the phone. You want the, the, the steps to count. Or the phone oh, into sorry, the bathroom. You take your phone into the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. We want our steps. That's to count. That's a whole count, new right? app. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah. take your bathroom into the bathroom. Oh my God. Okay. Um, <laughs> we so, can edit
2: it out.
3: Yeah. Well, or leave it in because we all make mistakes, right? <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, so uh, part, you know, our brain likes to track that kind of thing. We we look for the berry, and so it can be very simple things and earning points can just change your whole orientation to trying something
2: mm-hmm. so one of the things too and I think about this childhood experience um, second I, grade yeah so as a, as a as a father myself I have two kids I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old and I'm really thinking about my six-year-old who is at this point where failure is very hard for her right so I am also trying to have that balance between making sure she still has the ability to be curious and open and try and try and try, rather than I think the, the, the counter side, which again, I think is if you fail too much, you you start to basically block. And uh, the term is learned helplessness, right? right. Um, and I, I know you've mentioned it in your book. I know um, I, I've heard it a couple times actually already in this conference, um, but I'd be curious too, what, what, are, what are some things to make sure that we don't hit that point. And again, I I, I know I'm thinking about with a kid too, but it's probably from adults and we have to think about that as designers, but at the same time, not just designers, you as learners yourself, because I think we also learn a lot from being learners and how we do that. And and
1: maybe you start with a brief definition of learned helplessness. Yeah, that would be
3: good. So learned helplessness was uh, discovered by a psychologist who was studying dogs and so they were doing an experiment where they put dogs in a room and they were given they were set on a mat where they were they would get a shock in their paws not super painful but enough to be uncomfortable to the dog and then the dog so they they kept associating the shock with being in this little area until the dog learned like I'm going to get shocked and then they took the barrier down and all the dog had to do was move over two feet and they'd be away from the shock and none of them moved because the shock had happened so many times that they've finally gave up thinking that it would be different, and it took away their will to try something else. That's learned helplessness. And we've all seen it in organizations, right? You have a team that maybe has a poor leader, and maybe you try a couple interventions, but over time people realize nothing's going to change, and eventually we lay our head down, and we stop trying. And even when someone opens the door and would create freedom, we stay. So that's what Learned Helpless looks like, and it affects all of us in different ways. But what we wanna do with, um, you know, first of all, if you see toxic cultures in your organization, don't keep ignoring it. Like, you're just gonna bring down that whole team. But whenever we can add celebrations, harvest failures as learning, Reward effort and progress. These are all things that make a difference and the other thing. I'm a parent too So the other thing that I would say to the parents in the room is uh, How good are we at role modeling mistakes and talking about we we struggled in something at work or sharing that we failed and like Gosh, this was really hard Like how often do you have those conversations at the dinner table in front of your children? We usually don't right so part of it is also role modeling like wow mom really screwed up today. What happened? This happened it made me feel like this, but you know what? I'm gonna try tomorrow. So I think we also can do a better job of showing them what it looks like because in this world of social media where everything is edited to be perfect, so that's why I don't want you guys to edit out every little mistake in this <laughs> podcast, we live in a world where everything can be edited and so we start to get a false impression of how perfect people are and for children in particular, they're they're at the ages where they are shifting from caring about their families as the primary unit to caring about their peers as the primary unit. It preps them to go out in society. Um, It's a pretty big biological drive, and they're getting perfection from their peers, and so we need to help them realize that we're all not as perfect as we post ourselves to be.
1: So what parts of the brain are engaged or disengaged with the learned helplessness? (sighs)
3: It's so I can't answer that question. I know that the research was done, it was kind of a psychological state, but I'm mm-hmm. sure the habinula is activated because there's failure happening. Of the resistance, yeah. But I'm sure it's impacting some of the motivation centers because, you know, motiva- motivation to act is also getting kind of damaged in that, yeah. if I was to take a guess. But I haven't seen an exact MRI study on that.
2: So we will ch- we'll shift gears a little bit, even though I think there's a lot of failure in here as well. If for those, again, out here in the audience and those listening, um, Back in your normal earbuds or whatever you're listening to right now, we we talk a lot about immersion practice. We we enjoy it, and again, this is one of the reasons why we bring up Star Wars and Disney Disneyland, Disney World a lot because we've gained a lot of experience and understand how how important how just amazing true immersion can be, um, whether or not it is in a VR setting, whether or not it's just in reality of of, of us just creating music. Um, the sights, the sounds, using your sensory data, right? So one of the things in the book that caught my um, eye as, as I was reading, you said that you believe that more immersion should be added. So I'd love to discuss why that's the case. I don't know, was there a shift in and And I'd love to hear why there was yeah. a shift in that. Yeah,
3: so I talked about it a little bit this morning. For me it was, My husband got an Oculus headset last, not this Christmas, but past Christmas. And so, of course, we all put it on and we make our way through the thing. Um, But because I study, you know, the biology of things, I was really struck by so I was on this safari and there was a lot, I turned around, you know, I could look 360 and I turned around and there was a lioness behind me, like really close. And my body reacted as if I was truly in front of lions that could eat me. And then, you know, there was a few things, you know, and I climbed El Capitan <laughs> um, and freaked out because I was up there really high and I could die. And I was like, wow, my body does not know that I'm sitting in my couch. And even though cognitively I know this is fake and I, and I'm not there, I, I, my brain thinks I am. And so that was kind of the change for me was realizing how powerful VR particularly is as a learning tool, both for good and evil, right? Like it's, so I started studying it and it turns out that those kinds of experiences are so close to the first person point of view that we have when we walk around our world that our brain codes it as a lived memory. Now, I know I didn't actually climb El Capitan, so my brain, my logical brain says you weren't really there, but what's interesting is there's several, several studies out of Stanford where kids do not know the difference between whether they did it and whether it was a fake experience, so we have to be super careful with children in VR because if they're particularly violent games, if they're having lived memories of hurting people, I'm not so sure that that's a good thing for us to cultivate, but at the same time, there's real amazing powers in virtual and immersive technology.
0: So I'm curious, because you're very bullish on, on all of extended reality for learning, but specifically VR. Um, and that's something we've always been interested in as well. Uh, you kind of see the obvious applications like the oil rigs or the, you know, the flight simulators or things like that. But what about things that are more traditionally thought of, and I hate the term, of, of softer skills? of you know, interpersonal relationships and things like that, how do you see VR triggering within the brain? Is it, does it work just the same?
3: or Absolutely. No. So, you know, first of all, I'm the first to say uh, not every technology fits every learning goal, right? So if a PDF solves your problem, don't don't throw VR at it, okay? Um, we use different tools to solve the problem, right? But what VR is really good at is if you want someone to be building a skill and you want their brain to be able to build that habit, they can build some of those repetitions, 40 to 50 to get to a habit, uh, in a virtual environment. Uh, we certainly can create safety in a virtual environment, both physical and psychological. So safety is another big uh, thing that you can bring to it. In terms of the people skills, you know, wouldn't we want, like right now, one of the biggest things particularly in the United States is that we are all tied up in the history of race and yet we don't really know how to have great conversations about this even when our hearts are in the right place we don't want to make mistakes or we don't realize that we're clueless and are making mistakes like it's a very difficult thing how about we create safe environments you know what if we, what if I learned how to be a better manager by having a, a one-on-one with a virtual employee so I could screw it up and learn from it rather than doing damage to my actual employees I Learn my way through. So I think that there's lots of ways we can give people people skills practice in ways that help them get better. Particularly when those systems have feedback in them, right? And someone's giving them coaching on how that went.
1: One of the ways that we've used that uh, at our company is <clears throat> we've created a virtual reality app where you can take on the uh, role of someone who's in a wheelchair, for example. Fantastic. And so they're trying to navigate the office, right? And they get to the elevator and they can't reach the button, or they have to work around a water cooler that's really narrow, and it just simple things like that really raise your awareness, and I think that it ends up being a pretty powerful application.
3: Absolutely, and uh, one of the things I talk about in my Wired to Connect book is we actually are a tribal species. We have a lot of our biology is dedicated to helping us collaborate and connect with each other, have empathy for each other, um, but sometimes we don't get the opportunities to actually do that, so I think we can work on people's skills that way.
1: All right, so we, uh, before we got on live, we did ask our live audience for some questions. So I'm going to just- uh, We promise not to forget. Dana wrote, it down, I so wrote them, them down. down. I wrote them down. I, I yeah. may not have <laughs> written them as, uh, <laughs> as they were asked, but I think you understand the intent because you heard them asked. So let's kind of do them in reverse order. The first one was, uh, what's the impact on learning of change fatigue?
3: Yeah. So, you know, our, our brain does have a lot of capacity, but when we're tired or when we're tracking a lot of things, what can happen is we don't give learning the focus that it deserves. So I'm actually going to, uh, tie this into the other question What's what's the impact of distraction, distraction on learning yeah. right so those things kind of go hand in hand so when we're learning the hippocampus is actually making a recording of the thing that we're learning both a you know it's coding that in the brain and the hippocampus is the brain structure that takes learning and pushes it into memory And so if you were to open your email right now and be simultaneously listening to me, the brain cannot track both pieces of information at the same time. It switches back and forth. So the hippocampus will make a recording of me talking, and you can be focusing on that, or it switches, and I kind of become the Peanuts character in the background. Wah, wah, mm-hmm. wah, 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 mm-hmm. while Everybody's doing it. <laughs> while you're reading your email. Charlie Brown teacher. And so what happens is you're, you're recording two things, but you have holes in both of them as you switch back and forth. So it's known as switch tasking. I've named it Swiss tasking because <laughs> it looks like Swiss cheese. cheese. So can, we, can I multitask and wash dishes and listen to a podcast? Absolutely. But if you're learning, if you're trying to take something in that you want to push to long-term memory and behave behavior change, you want to avoid distractions and really let yourself focus. And we're even impacted by other people's distraction. So if I was focusing and you were distracted, uh, there's actually a thing called secondhand distraction. And it impacts someone's ability to take that learning in completely. So this is why if you're doing in-person live events, I encourage people to turn off their phones, shut their laptops, because people's distraction impacts other people.
1: So in your example of listening to a podcast and doing the dishes. Yeah, doing the dishes could uh, become fairly automatic. Yep. So if you're doing that automatically. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you still task switching or switch tasking, or are you able to, because you're kind of in automatic mode, Great question. you're able yeah. to then also absorb the
3: podcast? My guess is unless you're new to dishwashing, uh, <laughs> that's that's a habit. So you can kind of do it without thinking about it, right? So, Jake and p- I are still new to dishwashing. <laughs> well, Not me. You shouldn't no. be. Shame on you. Um, yeah, so there is a difference, and I think this is why we have the myth of multitasking, is because we do do things multiple times, we think we can learn and do other things at the same time but we can't the the brain science is real clear about that. And then back to the change fatigue, when we are going through so much change that we never have time to kind of get to this new sense of normal where we're kind of feeling like we're not overwhelmed by it, you know, anything that overwhelms us is fatiguing. We get tired, we get distracted, we make poor decisions, we get grumpier, cynicism goes up, all these things happen. So absolutely it can make you be in a less than optimal state to drive great learning.
1: So then the other question was around universal learning design, and I believe it was particularly focused on people with disabilities.
3: Yeah, so universal learning design is kind of just this framework that says, hey, we know some stuff about how the brain learns, and we know some things that support good learning, and we also know that there are some individual differences, okay? So either, you know, based on our personalities or based on actual structural differences because someone may have a disability, for example. So universal learning design just says, if you're gonna support people in learning, you need to make sure that you're putting out a variety of ways uh, that that learning can be taken in, different ways that people can process that learning, different ways that you test that learning so that there is a range. It actually aligns with adult learning theory. It basically says, give people a few modalities and a few different ways to participate in this if you're really trying to support people in their learning And that also aligns with people with disabilities because you're giving them more entry points as opposed to just one. And all of this, whether it's that or taking a virtual tour of the office in a wheelchair is really about all of us just becoming sensitive to other people's experiences and realizing the way that I see and live the world may not match the way you live and see the world. And this is only gonna help us have more empathy and ability to connect and have compassion for each other.
0: We can never have too much empathy. Never. Well, Britt, before we let you go, We do have a little bit of a tradition on our program, Uh, a segment that we like to call (laughs) laid to rest or RIP or something like that. There's a lot of uh, learning myths and, you know, we are an industry that likes to uh, pass legends along and believe that they're true uh, learning pyramid. Um, (laughs) What is one thing that you think that the corporate learning industry, that the the grown-up learning industry should lay to rest and be done with forever?
3: Okay, I've got two.
0: Great, you can have two.
3: The first one is uh, we've been chasing employee engagement, and trust me, I love that we started that conversation. It's one of the big trends of the last 10 years. But what's under employee engagement is people want to have purpose driven lives and meaningful work. We're actually leaving the information economy and moving into the purpose economy. So be ahead of that curve instead of behind it, I think. It was a great way to start, but employee engagement is an outcome of people having a sense of purpose and meaningful work, so go to the meat of the issue instead of just looking at the surface of it. And then the second one is a little bit controversial, but I'm speaking to my tribe here. Climate change is happening, people. (laughs) Like, there's just massive evidence. And I know we've been, you know, dodging how to be in this conversation, but as learning professionals, what it means is that a lot of people achieve adulthood without ever having to take a class on sustainable business practices or what is environmental change, what is climate change, what is environmentalism. So I am going to challenge my tribe that we need to get into this conversation because it's impacting our workforces, it's impacting our our factories, it's impacting our clients and where they live. Um, It's going to change how business is done in all kinds of ways in the next 10-20 years so if we're here to educate a workforce and be prepared for the future we got to start thinking long and hard about how we take the climate change into that and also give people information they need to be able to thrive through that because it's we can't ignore it it's, happening. it's a big deal it's happening
0: it's a big deal we love it ladies and gentlemen dr. Britt Andrietta. And with that, I think we are at time. The time on the studio wall says it's time for us to move on. So yeah.
1: any, any last words, Jake?
0: Yeah, so
2: if Thanks. you are
1: not yet a subscriber, where can they get the podcast?
2: Oh, so they can get the podcast. Um, and, and again, if you guys want stickers here in the audience and for those that are listening for the first time, not in the audience, uh, you can go to the Learning Geeks pod. Um, our, that's just our landing page, really. But um, you can go to Apple Music, Spotify, um, Google Play wherever podcast we're are all sold. over oh, the you place you can ask alexa too to pay, play the learning geeks podcast and we are on there so it's amazing yeah technology very, is, very amazing, is amazing is yep. amazing
0: so it's good to be back it's good to be back with all of you for those of you in the room thank you for being here on behalf of dana and jake and myself bob thanks for listening and we'll see you again soon on the learning geeks
1: podcast all, all right here. bye-bye everybody